my God. Is he not good? Please be seated and let us continue to sit in his presence. This God who has promised that no matter what life throws at us, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we can run from God, but we can never outrun God. And even at the end of time, on that last day with the final curtain, we will rise because Jesus is alive. We know that we will be with him forever. Amen. I want to take just a moment to uh, greet those of you who are visiting with us this morning. Every week, uh, for those of you who attend regularly, know that we try and recognize that every Sunday we have new guests who are with us, and we have these Connect cards, and we kind of have gotten into the routine of, of inviting people to fill out those Connect cards. And, and you might not know this, but all of the chairs that you're sitting in are brand new to us, and, and our habit is to say you can find a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. But uh, we don't have seat backs anymore right now. Uh, what happened is the, the, the seat backs that they sent us, the little card holders, were, were not the ones that we had thought we ordered, so we sent them back. We're actually going to save about $1,500 as a result of that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good, right? Uh, but we're going to have more, more uh, card holders coming, so we just have to process that. In the meantime, we have pens and note cards and uh, connect cards in the back on your way out. If you'd be willing to fill one out, turn it in at our welcome center. You can hand it to me or Greg or somebody you recognize from the worship team. Uh, we'd be happy to take that. We have a small gift as our way of saying thank you for coming out to worship this morning. But again, most importantly, uh, we just want to be able to greet you personally. Today we're wrapping up our study in the book of Jonah. We've been working through the story of Jonah, which is a very small book, right? It's only four chapters, and in those four chapters there's only 48 verses. It's two pages in the whole Bible. You know, if you blink, you miss it. But what we've seen is that there's a lot of similarities between Jonah's life and between our lives. As a quick recap, for those who haven't been with us for the series, the story of Jonah begins in the city of Joppa, which is on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. And the word of God comes to Jonah, who is a prophet of God, inviting him to go to the city of Nineveh uh, to preach to the people in Nineveh, which is about 550 miles northeast of where he's at in Joppa, uh, in modern-day Iraq. If you went to the city of Mosul today, you would be in the area where Nineveh was in that day. It was the capital of the Assyrian nation, who were the arch enemies of the people of Israel who had a vicious reputation for their brutality. They were known for skinning people alive and parading the skins and the dismembered body parts of their enemies around on poles and on it was, it was awful stuff that they did. And is it any wonder that Jonah says, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> so he flees to a place called Tarshish, which if you look on the map of the Mediterranean is on the southern tip of Spain. It's the farthest point that you could go in the known world at the time from where God was calling Jonah to go. 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. Basically, what we've learned is that Jonah was saying to God, God, I believe in you, but I am not going to do what you're asking me to do. And we do that too, right? We try to negotiate a partial obedience with God. We, we often give a God a, a yes, but, right? Yes, God, I, I love you. Yes, God, I receive your grace. Yes, God, I believe in you, but I don't really want to do that thing that you're asking me to do. That, that thing that you have in your word isn't really something I want to buy into. I, I want to keep it on my own terms. And yet a partial obedience to God can't really be obedience to God, can it? In chapter 1, we learned that you can run from God, but you can't 
outrun God because God already knows where you're going to go, right? And we learn from Jonah that he just goes ahead of you and waits for you in his grace and his patience. He he knows you're going to run. He knows where you're going to go, but he goes ahead and he waits for you. And, and, and he blesses you, and he, and he invites you to come back into relationship with him. And as we're running from God, we found in chapter 2 that, that at some point it's always okay to run back to God. It's never too late to pray, right? In the depths of the sea, inside the fish, Jonah turns to God in his darkest literal moment in life. Jonah turns to God. And he prays. And what we learn from the, the story in chapter 2 is that it doesn't matter how far you've run from God. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made in your life. It doesn't matter how, how irredeemable you think your life is. It's never too late to pray, even in your darkest moment, even in the, the darkest hour. And, and maybe some of you are in a really dark place this morning. It's never too late to turn your heart back to God and to pray. And when we discover that, that God welcomes us back and, and, and we begin to run with God in chapter 3, we're reminded that God is always the God of second chances. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, the scriptures say. After all of the running he'd done, after all of the people he'd impact and the pain he'd caused in the lives of people around him, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We have a God of second chances And it's not just second chances, right? It's third chances and fourth chances and 50th chances. Today, we continue and wrap up the story in chapter 4. And I'm going to read it out of the NIV. And we'll have the words on the screen for you to follow along. Or you can follow along on your, your flat screen Bible if you would like. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, what's wrong? Well, God just forgave all of the Ninevites, right? He went and preached the word to, to, to Nineveh, and they repented, and so God forgave them. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't that what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? that this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's pretty upset. (laughs) But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's waiting for God to destroy this place, right? He's setting up a front row seat to the burning of Nineveh. (laughs) Then the Lord provided a, a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. 
But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And thus ends the story of Jonah with a question. How odd is that, right? What do we do with that? Would you pray with me one more time and just ask God's blessing on understanding his word? God, thank you that you've given us the story of Jonah and that as we see our lives reflected in this story, you invite us to remember that you have a call on our lives and that uh, we often tend to want to run from that call and to, to, to flee our obedience to you. And yet you remind us through your word that you always are a God of second chances. Speak to us again today through the story of Jonah and help us to see how we can not only run to you, but we can run with you in fresh new ways today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that the story ends with Jonah being angry at God. I mean, is that kind of how you expected the story to end when we started? Jonah's angry with God. There was supposed to be this great turnaround and this wonderful happy ending, right? And he's going to ride off into the sunset. Isn't that the Hollywood ending? No, Jonah's angry with God and so much so he just wants to die. His life is, is worthless. Everything that he's done has no value anymore in his eyes. And the first thing we see right here in chapter 4 is that Jonah is offended by God's grace. If you have a sermon note sheet and you'd like to follow along, that's your first note. We have more sheets in the back. If you'd like to grab one, you can do that. Jonah is offended by God's grace. Jonah says, I knew it, right? That's what I tried to avoid this whole thing. That's why I tried to go 2,000 miles away to Tarshish. I know that you are a God of grace. I know that you're compassionate. You're sending me to my enemies to preach good news to them, and, and, and they're going to repent and, and get all of your blessings. That's not fair. I didn't want that from the beginning. I knew this was going to happen. And we store, in this story, we've seen that Jonah has been given God's grace many times over, right? And then he's offended by the same grace that God offers to the people of Nineveh. Don't we do that as well sometimes? We get offended when we see God giving grace to others who, you know, can we just be honest? They don't really deserve it, right? God calls us to be people of grace towards others, but we feel this sense of righteous indignation when other people are so obviously in the wrong. Right? I mean, in our lives, God rescues us, and we call it amazing grace, and we even have a song called Amazing Grace, right? But, then it, but, but what happens is it starts to sink in, and we start to, to think how good it is and, and, and how comfortable it is for us, and, and we want to begin to tell God how he should dispense his grace to other people. In effect, we want to start running God as if we know best, right? We kind of put an asterisk by the word grace as if, yes, grace, but, but see the footnote. Right? There's more information that you're not privy to, but if you talk to me, I'm very happy to, to school you on that. Of course I want God's grace in my life. Of course I want God's grace in my family's life and, and in a few other people that I associate with, right? But not for those other people. Not for those people on the freeway that I drive with every day. <laughs> not for those other kids at my school, 
Not for those people in Hollywood or in Washington, D.C. Not for all those people around the world. God's grace doesn't need to be dispensed for them. You see, Jonah's getting all worked up because he doesn't feel like God is dispensing his grace appropriately. Jonah essentially says, so God, if you're not going to kill them, just kill me, (laughs) right? If you're not going to kill them, just kill me because that's not what I want. I don't want to be a person of grace. I want to be a person of wrath. I want to bring your word and smite your evildoers. Isn't that what you've called me to do as your prophet? Why is he so angry with God? Why is Jonah so interested in running God? And I think the other piece that we learn from the story of Jonah is that Jonah is committed to his comfort. Jonah is committed to his own comfort. And that's why he's so angry, because God's grace and God's call in his life challenges his commitment to his own comfort. Jonah's more committed to his own comfort than he is to the calling of God in his life. I mean, get the picture, right? He's sitting on the outskirts of town, pulling up a front row seat for the greatest show about to to come. He's watching and hoping that God's going to bring fire and destruction. And remember, modern-day Iraq was a desert. It was hot, (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been to Phoenix, Uh, many of us have, but when you're in the middle of the desert and the sun is shining and an east wind blows, it is hot, and it is easy to imagine that he was about to faint. It's desert hot. So God provides this, this plant, right? And it grows miraculously. And he goes, oh, oh. Finally, I get a little comfort and a little peace. And, and basically, for the first time in this, the whole story of Jonah, we see that Jonah's happy, right? Why is he happy? Because he's, he's comfortable. He has some shade. He's content. Finally, my needs are being met. He's being cared for. But then the very next day, God sends a worm, and the worm begins to devour the, the plant, and, and, and the plant withers. And in verse 8, Jonah's so angry now about the plant, he says, I'd just be better off dead. What's going on here? Right? Something God is doing in Jonah's life, like he does sometimes in our lives, is he tries to help us to, to understand that Jonah is consumed with his own convenience, so God consumes his convenience. Jonah is so consumed with his own convenience that God consumes his convenience. Now, that's, that's, a hard, that's a hard truth, right? It's hard for us to say that this God of love might take away something that is comfortable for us. But think about it, right? Sometimes God will take away our convenience. God will take away our comfort. God will upset and rock the boat of our life a little bit to try and clarify more more for us what his calling in our lives are and how far we've actually run from him. But, But you might struggle with that. You might say this morning, so God doesn't want me to be happy? God doesn't want me to be comfortable in my life? Well, I wouldn't go that far. Obviously, we know that God wants to bless his people, right? God blesses his children just like we as parents want to bless our own children. But when our, the blessings of God blind us to the calling of God and our comfort gets in the way, then it become, becomes a bit of a problem, don't you think? See, I don't think God has a problem with our comfort until it gets in the way of our obedience to his calling and then he begins to have a problem with it as well. See, what happens with Jonah is that he's so committed to his own comfort 
that he no longer sees what God is doing in his life in the larger picture. He no longer has a perspective of how God is wanting to use him to be a blessing to the world around him. He's so committed to his own comfort that he can't see how God wants to use him to be a blessing with the people right where he's at. Here's this picture of Jonah sitting at the edge of the city waiting for destruction. And in a contrast, we see the picture of Jonah and God, the heart of God and the human heart that we share with Jonah as well, right? There are ways that we get caught up and obsessed with our own comfort in life, isn't there? And we miss what God is wanting to do in the larger picture of things. I know this is true for me. I mean, when I go to Starbucks in the morning to get a cup of coffee... You know, I'm thinking, how quickly am I going to get through this line? And all these other people in line ahead of me, you know, their needs aren't really as important as me because I got to get to work and I want this coffee. I'm more concerned about my own convenience and getting my coffee than I'm about the people in line with me, right? Or when I'm traveling across town in traffic and I'm weaving through the freeway and there's all this traffic around in town, I'm thinking, you know, Google says I've got 45 minutes to get there and if these yahoos don't get out of my way and drive properly and know how to merge in traffic, they're going to impede my convenience in getting where I'm going. (laughs) Right? But I am honestly not thinking about the hundreds of thousands of people that are putting their life at risk on that freeway with me at that same moment because we know that one of the most hazardous things you can do in your life is get into a car and drive. But I don't care about that. That's not what I'm thinking about. And I'm a pastor. (laughs) If I have to really be honest... (laughs) When I'm walking through the grocery store and I'm pushing my cart around, right? I'm like, you people need to know how to shop. I mean, there's a system here and you're not even paying attention to to where you're blocking the aisle and you're standing there trying to pick out your stuff. And I'm like, come on, I've got a list and I know how to get this thing done because I shop like a man, right? It's you get in, get out and get on with your life. And when people mess up my process, that's not okay. But I'm not thinking about those other hundred people who are in the grocery store with me and what's going on in their life and how can I be a blessing to them because I'm more concerned about my own convenience. More often, I find myself concerned with my own convenience more than the people around me. And and this impacts our day-to-day life, men and women, every day. It's the big things in life for sure, but, but sometimes it's the little things in life that most reveal to us where our hearts are really at. You know, maybe the example could be with our money. I'm going to spend my money the way I want to spend my money. It's my money. I earned it. I made it, right? I'm going to fund my life and my hobbies and my families and my habits. And, and, and maybe I'm not so concerned about how I'm funding the, the ministry and the missions of the kingdom of God around the world. Maybe it's our time. Man, time is so limited. It's the most valuable resource we have. I'm going to spend the time the way I want to. I'm going to use my free time to to rest and recuperate. I'm not going to go on that mission trip overseas. I'm not going to serve on that ministry team at church. I'm not going to join a small group. Why would I do that? I mean, am I really so different from the rest of us? Right? I don't think so. But part of the lesson of Jonah's life for us is that God says, don't get overly concerned with your convenience and your comfort. 
And I love the way that Pastor Todd Clark expressed this. He says, because an overcommitment to comfort will cause you to miss 90% of the world. An overcommitment to comfort will cause you to miss 90% of the world. And here's how he explained it. This is what, why it made sense to me. Most of the world does not live like we live right here in the United States. We know that, right? I mean, conceptually, we know that. I think experientially, often we miss the point. 90% of the world does not live like we live here in the United States. And yet they still need Jesus, don't they? And it's not just our world, but it's our neighbors who live across the street and, and who work with us and who go to our schools. I think that God would say to us and to, to Jonas, don't get so consumed with the blessings of your life. Don't get so consumed with the blessings of your house and the blessings of your couch and the blessings of your flat screen TV that you never go across the street to meet your neighbor. That you don't leave the house and you don't go across the street. Don't get so consumed with the comforts of life here in this blessed America that we live so that whether it's going across the street or around the globe, our calling is to be light bringers and good news bearers to a lost and a hurting world, but we get so distracted by our own convenience and our own comfort and even our comfort here at church with these fancy new chairs that we have. No, I like pews. No, I like chairs. No, I like pews. No, I like chairs. What is it really all about? Jonah's more committed to his comfort, and God calls him on it. God said to Jonah in verse 9, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry, I want to die. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of sound like a child's tantrum? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. I'm so upset. I'm so emotional about it. And God's response in verse 11 says, you're so worried about a plant that is coming gone in 24 hours. Nineveh has more than 120,000 souls in it. Should I not be concerned about this great city? God's saying, I know you guys are enemies. I know you don't get along with these people. I know you don't see eye to eye. I know they've done some bad things and they might do some more bad things in the future, but there's still people who are created in my image that, that I love and that I care for. Should I not be concerned about this great city? And then the story ends <laughs> with the question. And I think what that suggests to us is the question remains open for you and for me, all of these years later, after Jonah, God wants us to be concerned with eternal things. Jonah's concerns didn't match up with the eternal things of God. And God is saying to Jonah, you and I aren't on the same page here. You're, you're distracted by your own convenience and, your, and comfort, and you're missing the bigger picture of, of what I'm asking you to be a part of. And in our own humanity, in my everyday life, and in your everyday life, don't we all have a little Jonah in us? When we go to coffee at Starbucks, when we're driving the freeway, when we order a pizza or Jimmy John's, right? When is it going to get here? I mean, we're more concerned about how fast people will deliver food to our front door than we are about the welfare of the people driving all over the city trying to make a buck and being unsafe on the roads, right? I mean, these are first world problems, people. <laughs> how fast can I get food to my door? Don't we do the same thing in church? 
It's about my own comfort. It's about my own convenience, about my own preferences and what I want. And we completely forget that we come to church to be a part of a community of people and to give worship to God. Worship isn't something we come to get. It's something we come to give. And if we're not giving worship to God, then we're not doing it correctly. (laughs) We can get so caught up and so emotional about these things that 24 hours from now aren't even going to matter anymore. Coffee, traffic, worship stuff. And we overlook the people who, who who are dying to know Christ around us every day. And I think God would say to me and to you through the Jonah story is, do you realize, do you understand, can you see with the eyes of faith that the only thing that you can take with you to heaven is people, right? The only thing that will make it through this life to heaven is other people. And yet we focus so much on the the temporary things of this world and our own creaturely comforts, and we think that God isn't blessing us or caring about us if we don't have all of these things or we go through difficult circumstances in our life and we're missing the very call of God to be a blessing to the people right around us. It's only people. Don't let the things that are temporary in this world overshadow the things uh, that are eternal. And the only thing that we can take with us is people. Do you guys remember that old song? By Ray Bolt, thank you for giving to the Lord. This idea, we, we get to heaven, and we show up, and, 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 and there's, there's these people lined up to greet us. And we're like, who are all these people? I don't know what they're doing here. And you come up, and, and they say, hey, thank you. I was a kid in your Sunday school class when you taught Sunday school those years ago, and I prayed to receive Christ. I'm here because of you. And you go down the line, and all of these people are there to, to welcome you and to high-five you and to celebrate what God has done in their lives because of what we gave, what you gave to the Lord. If we could just let this soak into our hearts and our minds a little bit, and we understood what does this mean for us as a faith community as we imagine the kinds of ministries that God is calling us to pursue together in the future, I would suggest to us that it would change our days and our weeks because the only thing that we can take with us to heaven is other people, and maybe that's our takeaway for today, right? What are you taking with you to heaven? What are you taking with you to heaven? Who are those people that when you show up, they're going to high-five you, they're going to greet you, they're going to invite you to come and sit at the heavenly Starbucks and, and, and hang out for a while, right? There's Starbucks in heaven. Come on. Don't let the temporary things of your life overshadow the opportunities that God has given you to use the, the blessings and the gifts that he's given you to share the light and the good news of Christ around you. And sometimes that might be sharing your testimony and the good news of Jesus, and other times it might just be a, a word of grace and comfort to somebody in need. As we move forward into this new season of life. As we move into the Thanksgiving season, I pray that our hearts are grateful and thankful for all the ways that God continues to bless us, to give us second and third and fourth chances and 50th chances, and and that as we we put aside the the imagery or the the illusion of the, the temporary stuff that supposedly makes us happy, may we find our deepest joy in passion in saying yes to following Jesus and making sure that we are blessing people around us. Would you pray with me?